Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is <laughs> my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Dr. Jennifer Chatfield is a double-boarded certified veterinarian. She mentioned what she was board certified in, but I can't remember now. Jennifer Chatfield has gusto. She is an animated individual that is a non-hunter that I wanted to have a conversation with because of her background in obviously animal care from a veterinarian perspective, which is obviously opposite to what hunting is. And also she brings a unique perspective to the idea of animal welfare, to pain uh, experience in animals, and a perspective on hunting because she's a non-hunter. It's a fantastic, fantastic conversation, and I know you're going to fall in love with Dr. Jen Levet. So enjoy. Uh, we might actually have for real like 21st century or at least 20th century internet soon. Amazing. So, Amazing. I mean, it, it, 
It's pretty exciting stuff when this picture van runs down the road, right? It is. And this is how much, how nerdy we are. Like we already like I've scoped it out. They've already like hung the cable. The cable is already there. It's like these big coils of cable hanging from each of the telephone poles. And we're like, come on, man. All you got to do is hook it up and juice it. Come on. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm like whose, whose palm do I have to grease so that we can get some internet out here? Well, I appreciate all of the, uh, the, 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 the toil that you have gone through over the last 15 <laughs> minutes. You logged in early. You didn't want to stand me up a second time. I you've know. switched cameras. You've turned my incoming video off. So you can't even see my expressions, whether or not I'm, uh, you know, enjoying this conversation, which I am already thoroughly. Um, oh, but my presumption is that you are. Is that terrible? Well, that's a great presumption to have. Just know that I'm smiling the entire way on this side of the on this side of the camera, okay? Okay, all right. Good to know. Good to know. But I will also share with you, um, because you can see me, right? Um, I can. So uh any errant noises that my mic might pick up here um will be blamed on my French bulldog. Um because she's running around right now, she's sitting on her sofa. She actually has a nail head sofa that is hers. It's her Ooh, size nice. it's little she's very fancy my dog and um she's sitting on it surrounded by toys waiting to make noise as soon what's as the color start. of your frenchie so she's called sable um i'm not into fad colors but i'm also not into um having the most expensive dog on the block um mm -hmm. so i thought she was pretty and she was my price and she came from a good breeder and turned out i was right on all accounts <laughs> what is what is the color pattern of a sable, Frenchie? Sable, um, so she is, uh, she's like a golden brown, um, with a little bit of black highlights. Um, come Ooh. here, Coz, come here. I'll get her to come over here, and you'll see her on the video in a second. But yeah, so she's she's really pretty. I like her. She's nice. not she's nice. not not smart. Mm -hmm. I had an American bulldog. I've got oh. a Brittany Boykin mix right now, but I had an American oh bulldog that had. That was fawn with a white blaze on a chest and a black muzzle, which is yeah. the classic color of a dog in South Africa called Jock of the Bushveld. So Jock of the Bushveld oh. is South African's version of Old Yeller. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so you grew up with this dog. And when I found Kazi, we called her, I was like, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, this is Jock of the Bushveld. Yes. And um, Frenchies come in the same color pattern. They do. Fawn, white blaze, black muzzle. Yeah. And actually um, that's called a standard. Um, okay. and I wanted, that's what I wanted. I just wanted like a regular fawn black mask and plus or minus. I don't care if they have the white on the chest. Right. Um, but it's funny. Little dog people are very different from big dog people. And hmm. I, before Cosette had, um, border collies and my border collies were working dogs. And so, um, Sheep herders, right? Yes. So, well, they, she would, my very first, my, um, herder. yeah, my once in a lifetime dog, um, she actually worked sheep and goats. Um, and she actually, she would like to work cattle, but I never wanted to put her on cattle because you only get like one mistake. But anyway, mm -hmm. um, so then I get, I get Cosette and they were like, well, you, you got to put the money down now. And I'm like, she's two weeks old. She just opened her eyes. Like, I'm not putting any money down. I don't even know what her personality is like. How am I going to pick her out, you know? <laughs> and they're like, if you don't do this, you're not going to have a dog, Chatfield. Like, can you just get over yourself and pick a dog? Um, so I did. But I met the parents and, you know, checked them out. And, and I said, okay, I'm getting one. 
so yeah, there she is. So um, you came highly recommended for me to talk to by two individuals that I uh, think the world of. Number one, Erica Turgeson mm-hmm. uh, with Isn't the NRA. Isn't she so amazing? Amazing girl. Not going to be with the NRA very much longer. One more week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, striking out on her own and, and joining the Dallas Safari Club in a capacity for governmental affairs. That's great. Congratulations, mm-hmm. Erica. Well, yep, yep. I'm very excited for her. And then the other individual who thought the world of you was Denise Welker. Oh, good. So I've snowed two people totally. That's awesome. I'm so Well, awesome. you're about to snow. Well, you know, there's going to, you know, we have a total of about a 15 people audience to this podcast. So All right. uh, you have an opportunity to sway another 15 people or so if you'd like. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Jen Chatfield, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. If uh, Would you like to introduce yourself to what you do and who you are? Sure. Uh, so my name is Jennifer Chatfield. On the internet, I'm known as Dr. Jen the Vet. Um, and uh, I am a veterinarian. So there you Specializing go. Specializing in? Uh, so I'm actually um, board certified in two different specialties, which have kind of a unique and timely intersection for today's uh, <laughs> news, news um, items. So I am board certified in zoo and wildlife medicine as well as in what is called preventive medicine, which is basically public health and infectious diseases and uh, disaster response. Awesome. Awesome. Do we want to just talk about the Pandora's box right away or do we just want to leave it alone? I mean, I, uh, if if you want to talk about the Pandora's box, I'm happy to infectious disease is my jam. So what I'm, I'm happy to talk about whatever you like. I always have extra words. Okay, so why don't we let me set the, let me set the scene first with a couple of questions, and then um, I'm not going to dive into the whole zoonotic COVID kind of scenario, but I do want to talk about um, some other diseases that we see are, are cropping up in specifically wildlife and how that has any potential effects into humans. Okay. Um, do you hunt, Jennifer? Do I hunt? I I do not hunt. Um... Yeah, I don't, it's sort of, it's, it is on the spectrum of activities is sort of the opposite of like what my profession does, right? <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, you save animals and hunting kills animals, right? So sort of, I mean, if you're just looking at broad strokes, the very basic elementary definitions of things, that would be it. Yes. You have never, ever hunted? Um. I, t- I try to be careful to never say the words never, and I try to also never to say always. Um, so, no, I, I guess I've gone along on a hunt. So my first husband was a hunter, um, okay. just, but just kind of a, you know, a casual hunter. So Is that why he was your first husband? <laughs> we were two good people who should have married two other good people. Um, Perfect. But yeah, no. Um, so I guess I would, I would go along. Um, because also given my background, I mean, I can field dress, um, a creature like that fast with only a single blade. (laughs) So I was very helpful to have around camp, I think, um, for, yeah, when you brought something in, but I myself never shot something. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, you're the, exactly the kind of people, people, person that I, uh, enjoy speaking to because the whole point of blood origins is, having discussions around elements of hunting 
that can convey truths and proofs and ideas and mm-hmm. thoughtful discussions around topics specifically for the non-hunting audience. So I like talking to non-hunters mm-hmm. because they don't come at the idea of hunting from a hunter's perspective. They come at it from a different perspective. Sure. Like I have no actual dog in the hunt, so to speak. 100%. 100%. So then let me ask this question, which is yeah. what we like to ask. Do you have a perspective on hunting? Um, or yeah, hunters? So, let me start with hunting mm-hmm. and then I'll move to hunters. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I guess I do. Um, uh, only, only because of my background, right? So I grew up in Texas um, and I come from um, an animal background. Um, and then I accidentally became a veterinarian. So now I work with animals in all different aspects. You don't accidentally become a veterinarian. Come on. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. I wasn't going to be a vet. I just, I just, I just started studying towards becoming a veterinarian. Yeah. I wasn't going to be a veterinarian. I was going to be a flight attendant. Um, and then it's true. That's a true story, friend. Um, and then my folks were like, Hey, that's interesting. How's about you fill out this paperwork anyway? And I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and, uh, if you, if you look backwards, you're like, like, what the hell else would you have been, Jennifer? That's ridiculous. Um, but at at the time, no, I mean, I was fluent in German and so I wanted to travel and see interesting places. Um, and so, yeah. Um, but Anyhow, um, having grown up the way I did uh, on a farm with animals, um, you you have to recognize this one saying we have in Texas that you grew up with, which is if you have livestock, you have dead stock. Um, and so you, you have to have some sort of um, mechanism for uh, disposition of animals, whether it's accidental mm-hmm. or purposeful, um, mm-hmm. you know, nothing lives forever. Uh, and then what do you like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do with all the surplus males? I mean, like, you know, there's so anyway, there's all these problems, right? Um, to be solved. Right, right. So would you say that as a non hunter, your perspective on hunting is neutral? No, actually I wouldn't. Um my perspective on hunting is um I also, I try not to be neutral on, on anything um, because like, what's the point of that? Uh, I'm only, I, I will tell you I'm neutral on a, on a, on a topic or on an issue. If I feel like I don't have enough information to have an informed opinion. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And so I'm not neutral on hunting because I eat meat every single day. <laughs> so how, mm. I don't know how I could be neutral on hunting at that point. Right. Um, so, so no, but I also see hunting um, as um, a, a viable tool for conservation of endangered species, which is something I have spent my career working on. So, right. yeah, so I'm definitely not, not neutral. Mm. No, that's great. That's great. What about your perspective on hunters themselves as individuals? Wow. <laughs> um, I don't know all the hunters, so I would never speak about a group of people or I would make effort not to kind of brand an entire group of people because interesting. That's an interesting response to that question. I've never had someone say, I'm not going to generalize. Okay. Well, you're welcome. (laughs) A first on on your podcast. 
no, it, no, it's true because I th essentially what you're what you and what you've set up, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but what you've set up here is um, that there are there are going to be people in an industry, any industry. I'm just we're just talking about hunting right now. Mm -hmm. That could have bad could could push some bad apples bad perceptions bad whatever mojo juju whatever you want to call it into the perspectives of what someone may think about or may categorize as a in this case a hunter yeah but it, i mean that's not um I mean, I don't think like that's a great epiphany for people. I think we just kind of forget, right? When we're talking about something that can be as emotionally charged as almost any animal issue is by default. And then if you talk about hunting, I think people sometimes forget themselves a little bit when they're talking about it and they just make sweeping generalizations. Um, mm. And so, I mean... I don't, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I don't do that sometimes, <laughs> but I do try, I do try um, not to do that with people. And I hope that people don't do that with me because I'll tell you, not every veterinarian is the same. Not every girl named Jennifer is the same. Um, and so by the same token, why, why should all hunters be the same? And in point of fact, I have met hunters from all different walks of life who actually, I mean, they're at all different levels of interest, engagement, um, and overall activity with hunting. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's people that only hunt ducks. Okay. I mean, do I think that's a great way to spend a weekend? No. But did they ask me? No. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, but that's a different approach to hunting than somebody that, you know, like is what I think of as like a, the stereotypical Texas trophy hunters member, right? You know, they hunt whitetail in West Texas or something or South Texas every mm -hmm, year mm -hmm. and um, that sort of thing, which is also radically different from the, the international hunter. Um, right. Yeah. So, so there you go. No, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that a lot. Um, I don't know much about your work with endangered animals, uh, but you spoke with, with, with sort of this gusto about, I know what hunting has done specifically in the <laughs> conservation of endangered animals. Would you care to elucidate a little bit more around that? Yeah, I mean, sure. I, and, I, and I'll tell you, like, listeners, I do nothing without gusto. <laughs> I think the listeners know that by now. 15 minutes in, I think they've got that. <laughs> but also, um, uh, I have seen... Um, populations that are not allowed management techniques or management um, procedures. Tools. To keep, yeah, tools to keep the population healthy. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not pretty. Um, if you have old animals, really sick animals, et cetera, and there's only a finite amount of resources. And so, uh, let me bring that to a specific situation, yeah, right? Yeah. So, um, there's only a finite amount of any resources for any ecosystem, 
Okay. So let's say if you, let's, let's make it really, really easy. Let's say we're on an Island. Okay. Okay. Um, and yes, I'm a child of the eighties and you always are wondering how you're going to get off the Island and who can fly the helicopter. So <laughs> lots of my stories start with, we're stuck on an Island. So let's say like you're looking at an Island and there's antelope there. Okay. Uh, yep. and, uh, Okay, let's say there's an apex predator. Like, what's your favorite uh, wild carnivore? Lion. Lion. Okay, we got a lion. Okay, a lion. And um, and is this a male lion or a female lion? That makes a difference. You know it does. Mm, we'll go with a male, but either okay. or, they're not going to be able to procreate. No, no, they can't. But one of them can eat and hunt really well. <laughs> and one of them lays around, <laughs> you know. Then being... we'll go with the female. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. She can hunt. Okay. Yes. So, um, so there she is, right? Um, and she's on this island, and she cannot procreate, right? But the antelope can, right? Because we got a whole herd of them. Let's say we have—I don't know—we have forty-five. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so for a while, things are sort of copacetic for maybe two or three um, reproductive cycles. So two, let's say two or three years. Let's make it easy. Um, but then. There's a there's there's a drought, right? Rainfall's not what it was. Uh, antelope continue to produce, and um, the lion keeps hunting at the same rate, right? Because she's eating. Um, but the antelope continue to reproduce. So then the the grass does not recover from the drought. Antelope continue to eat. So now they're overgrazing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, lion keeps hunting. Lion's getting older. Lion's getting older. Uh, grassland, parts of it never recover because it was too overgrazed during the drought. Lion gets old, lion dies. Antelope still reproducing, still reproducing, still reproducing. And they eat all of the grass out. And that, that may take time. So it takes some, whatever amount of time you want, there's still nothing eating the antelope and they're continuing to reproduce because that's what happens. And now there's so many antelope there. You, I mean, you throw a rock and you hit one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who's controlling that population? Now the, the island itself is slowly dying while you watch, right? The ecosystem is being ta- overtaxed and it's dying. Everything is suffering. Everything on the island, not just the antelope, are now suffering, right? But isn't this Mother Nature now saying, okay, Mother Nature's coming in, boom, bust cycle, Mother Nature is going to take care of an overpopulation of yep. antelope, disease, starvation, uh, what starvation. have you. Sure. You know, sure. easy, yep. you know, now, very natural, very um, calm deaths, right? No, no cruelty involved, mm-hmm. no violence involved, no. I don't, I don't know how calm it is to starve to death. Um, I'm, I'm, not... I'm being facetious. Oh, okay. All right. See, I can't see your face. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. So, uh, death, their death in most death, I think is not, not calm in mother nature. I mean, I did grow up watching, um, mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's not like these things are pleasant. Uh, no matter how you go, right? So unless you're the antelope that like throws himself off the cliff or something. Um, and so, so the the ecos the entire ecosystem is dying, right? Entire ecosystem. But now I'm going to add one more factoid in there. What if I told you that these antelope 
were the only ones of their kind left on the planet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a little different, isn't it? Now you're not like so calm about, well, this is mother nature's course, right? Aren't they just going to die mm-hmm. out? Okay. Mm-hmm. And some people are, some people are still like, well, you know, should we conserve that? I mean, now what if I tell you that um, there are plants some incredible flowering plant, if you're into that, that only come from that island. Right. And depend on that ecosystem. Now, how important is it that we keep those antelope rolling along and keep that um, um, ecosystem thriving? Mm-hmm. A little mm-hmm. bit. So you see, you, mm-hmm. can, you can manipulate all the pieces. And to me, all hunting is, is actually a productive way to maintain herd health. Because if you hunt, uh, then you choose which animals uh, are are taken from the herd, right? Mm-hmm. And then the meat's not wasted. Like you have an option, mm-hmm. an opportunity not to waste the meat. And further, you have an opportunity for education. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what Like what's wrong with any of those? Well, the, the only argument against it is that you are killing something. Man, stuff dies every day. People die every True. day. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I, I am currently on the path to dying. Now, it looks like today I'm going to make it. It's going to be okay. It doesn't look like I'm going to die today. <laughs> I mean, but tomorrow, tomorrow's another day, okay? Um, and, and, so, and I say that because, look, I'm a veterinarian, right? So, look, and I owned emergency clinics. I love emergency medicine. But as a veterinarian, I'm meeting people in like what could be one of the worst days of their month, year, sometime for young people, their life to that day. And they say to me, because um, they are upset, they're usually overtired because it's, you know, two in the morning, nothing gets sick during business hours, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and now they're faced with this, finan- this huge financial situation. I don't care if it's $10 or whatever, it's going to be more than what you have or what you plan to spend. And they say to me, is he going to die? And sometimes depending on my mood, (laughs) I would say, that is a fact. Uh But not today. And not tomorrow. And not from this. Uh Uh It's like everything's supposed to live forever. I can't make everything live forever. Yeah. Yeah. And so what if what is your thoughts to that whole scenario now with sort of the the human fingerprint on the landscape, the human fingerprint on the ecosystem and the maybe the gradation of human fingerprint to different ecosystems. What do you mean like um like the impact Certain of ecosystems. humans? Yeah, I would say as a scientist, I have a PhD mm-hmm. in wetland ecology. I would say that every ecosystem on this planet has some gradation or level of human anthropomorphic influence on it from climate change at probably its highest level to rapid urbanization habitat disconnectivity you name it or, so or, that's my that's my Go ahead. yeah and and i would agree and um so and i think with some ecosystems it's more apparent than others um, and the impact is, is large, like the impact differs, right? Like, so wetlands, hello. So those are fra- more fragile ecosystems. I would, I would 
wager than, you know, grass and grassland prairie, right? Um, the canopy ecosystems of the, of the rainforest, like in Madagascar, those canopy systems, much more sensitive, but nonetheless, all have been impacted by, um, the apex species on the planet, right? Humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's like impossible. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me that there's something, um, that is what, what they used to call like unspoiled, right? Right. Untouched. You could say. No, because if you know it's there, then haven't we touched it then? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And so so it's funny that you mentioned that. So I'll like tangentially like tie this into veterinary medicine and conservation. Behavior science, right? Especially observational behavior. So for instance, like someone goes out and studies, um, I, hate, I don't want to say chimpanzees, but somebody goes out and studies some creature um, and they study them for 10 years, right? They're like with this one family group and this and that. And then they come back and they're like, I have unlocked the secret to this species. Yeah. Okay. Great. What is it? Well, when they make this noise, this vocalization, it's because they're calling to their, their offspring who are far away. When they make this noise, it's an alert to all the others that danger is near. When they make this noise, they mean, you know, stay away, uh, but I'm just cautioning you. You know, we get all these subtleties of communication. And I always think to myself, really? I mean, really? Is that what's happening? Because you're ascribing human mm -hmm. perception to that, right? And then mm -hmm. they, they, they say, well, the behavior of this creature is this when it sees that. And mm -hmm. then the conspiracy theorists, right? The, the purists would say, but simply by being present to observe such behavior, are you not potentially altering the animal's behavior because of your presence? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about the whole idea? And you've just opened up another ca a can of worms that I know I'm, I'm going to want to explore versus maybe what I thought I was going to explore with you on this podcast tied to CWD and epidemiology, but oh. that maybe we'll keep it. We'll keep that for another podcast. Um, what about the whole idea of animal sentience from mm -hmm. a veterinary's perspective, animal sentience and the idea that animals feel pain. So I'll mm -hmm. give you my perspective here in that obviously pain. What is pain? What is pain? Exactly. So pain is a human construct for something that's happening to our body, right? We get some sort of nervous system reaction that alerts our brain that, mm -hmm. hey, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And in an anthropomorphic me way mm -hmm. or mechanism, we feel this thing that is painful. Mm -hmm. It's sore. It's ouch. It elicits, um, it elicits some facial characteristics it elicits some um, vocalizations tied to it mm -hmm. there's all these things tied to what you just said what is pain mm -hmm. to pain mm -hmm. we have taken that construct of pain and placed it on animals yet i have seen deer walk by trail cameras with their backstrap ripped out mm -hmm. from a coyote or from an eagle mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. And that deer does not look like it is in pain, mm -hmm. like a human's construct of pain. Mm -hmm. So from a veterinary perspective, like how do you, how do you see that? Yeah. Um, so um, 
the way that the way I was taught uh, to define pain is there is tissue damage or tissue assault or impact mm-hmm. and a conscious perception of that event, right? So what that means with some sort of with some sort of outcome of that conscious perception. Not, not, like necess- facial... not necessarily. Not necessarily. So, okay. So, um, because you can have, um, <clears throat> okay, because obviously, like when you have surgery, okay, well, wouldn't you theorize that they're cutting you? That's painful, right? But we say that it's surgery is not painful because you don't consciously perceive the tissue damage. Okay. Correct. All right. So if we if we can agree that that's what we're gonna sort of loosely define it as here. Um, So that when I look at at, uh, creatures, so when I do this, I I err, so it's a little bit of cheating for me, right? I err on the side of eliminating or mitigating any painful uh, stimulus, right? When I'm working on a creature, I just, I just err on that side, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And in our industry, in fact, there used to be a big joke um, because for centuries people were like, reptiles don't feel pain, right? They don't. Cause they don't do anything. They just sit there. Okay. Hey, FYI turns out, Hey, that's wrong. <laughs> they do feel pain. Um, they, they just don't seem to react exactly the way that we think that they should every time that that. So when you say they insulted. do feel pain, they again, how are we quantify? How, how do we know that? So we know just through that. neuroreceptors yes. of. Yeah. Okay. And. So there's something there's that we have these uh, reflexes, right? Neural reflexes. Um, and any neurologist listening right now is going to start cringing because I'm not going to get this exactly right because that is not one of my board certifications. But mm-hmm. um, we have neurotransmitters. We have um, um, physiological changes that accompany not only conscious perception of pain, but conscious perception of tissue impact. So even if it's not painful, we're still going to have some perception that something happened to some part of us, right? Uh, and so we know that reptiles feel that. They just don't always have the capacity to react in the way that we might predict. So if they... Isn't that a human construct to itself? It is. The idea of, of prediction and the what we perceive as what should be the reaction yes yes 100% so let's go back to your deer right because every, people ask me that all the time so i had a guy that i went out to his place cuz i used to do farm work right go out to his place and he's like i don't know doc could you look at this goat i mean i think it's okay it's getting along and i'm like oh, okay i'll have a look at it. that's a, like a dangerous thing <laughs> when someone says i think it's okay it's getting along i mean it's mm-hmm. only been like that for a month and i go look at it and this was a nice guy he cared about his animals it's not like he didn't care he cared about his animals mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. uh and i look and i was ho- I, okay i was horrified um there was a goat and it had broken its leg at some point and the bone was hanging out right the leg was part of the leg was the distal part of the leg was gone and there's the end of the bone and it's decaying and here's the goat getting along. And he's like, well, I figured it was okay because it was still eaten. So I think what we discount sometimes is the, um, I don't know if it's an evolutionary drive, but it's this will to survive. Mm-hmm. So that deer that's walking along, what exactly would be his choices? Right. Get eaten? 
Oh, cl- or survive. He clearly tried that. <laughs> it didn't work out well for him. <laughs> um, yeah, so so you better suck it up and roll on. Um, and if you look far enough back in human history, our social behaviors were exactly that as well, right? You didn't tell people when you were sick. You didn't tell people when your family was sick because it was mm. perceived as a weakness, right? Mm. Um and you just didn't want to have that. And so if you go far enough back, that was part of our social construct. Now we're so far removed from any discomfort in general, most of us, especially like in, in America, um, we think no one should have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, have you heard about mm-hmm. these, this thing, this five freedoms? Have you heard of that? Of that? Okay. So there's this whole new thing that people come up with from a welfare standpoint. I don't like the word welfare, FYI. Um, and so it's the five freedoms that all animals are entitled to. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. Have you heard of it now? And my context? I, uh, some of, I've, I've, I think I've heard of it. Go ahead. Yeah. So there are things like, um, they should be free from starvation, free from physiological stress, free from pain. Free from, and I'm like, Hey, man, I'm not even, I don't even get those five stinking freedoms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think a little bit of stress and discomfort, not necessarily pain, but stress and discomfort helps you to appreciate when it's absent, right? Otherwise, right. every day is the same. Absolutely. Yeah. So as far as sentience, which is where you started with this, and I went all the way around mm-hmm. it, um, do I think that animals are sentient creatures? Do I think that they have some self-awareness? I mean, I do. I don't think I could do what I do for a living if I didn't. Mm-hmm. Do I think they're all equal? Uh, I probably don't know enough to opine on that. Mm-hmm. But do I think that animals are people? No, because they're animals. Right, right. I mean... Do I think my Frenchie needs to have her own couch? No. <laughs> but she has one. She has one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that I think it's terrible that, that people have working dogs on ranches that live outside 100% of their lives. I think that's mm. fine. I Do I think it's terrible that Great Pyrenees guard the herds, right, and have no interest in interacting with humans because they're bonded with their herd that they're protecting? I think that's fantastic. Right, right. It's different. There's a lot of these new. I saw Tennessee just introduced an, um, a potential house bill on the banning of having dogs outside. Oh my! Georgia God. had one. There's a bunch of them this session. Right, eh? right. And so here, here's you. You want to know what I think about that? <laughs> it's what this podcast is all about: bringing on interesting yeah. people with a lot of gusto, with <laughs> with with with. Strong opinions about everything. Well, they're not strong opinions about everything, but we happen to be in like the one little slice of life that, that I think I know something about. Um, uh, so I think it's interesting when others uh, first seek to prohibit, right? Mm-hmm. Especially from a policy standpoint, right? So I worked in politics and um, in my opinion, bad policy begins with um, an effort to prohibit anything, right? Because you can prohibit things by um, writing policy that seeks to include, right? To um, to promote 
appropriate behavior, to promote appropriate things among right. society rather than prohibiting. Prohibit. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm already like not on board with um, the approach. Secondly, there are some dogs that they just love to be outside. Okay. <laughs> and you know what? There are some people who are going to say, I don't want that dog in my house. I love my dog. They don't come in my house. So what? We're going to take all their dogs away? Are they going to come to your house? Because they ain't coming to my house. I'm not taking all them dogs. Right? So right. You're, So what, what are we going to do with those dogs? Are we going to kill them? I ain't killing them either. Not doing it. So you can only have a dog if you keep it the way that I think is right? Mm-hmm. No. Are you feeding it? Do you show up at the veterinary? That's what people say. A bunch of veterinarians will be like, they don't deserve to have that dog. They're terrible owners. And I'm like, wow. Okay. So what forced them to come through your door and pay their hard-earned money for your opinion on what may be wrong with their dog? Nothing. As soon as they walk through the door, they're a good owner. They didn't have to, they didn't have to recognize their dog was uncomfortable or needed something. And then they didn't have to come, right? So right. How about we just seek to include and help them to recognize how they could up their game as far as animal care, um, if they want to, rather than judging them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's fascinating. And it's fascinating to have that conversation again from a non-hunter, but someone who is is in the animal space, in the veterinarian space, because mm-hmm. you have your opinions and you have your beliefs and you have your thoughts about animal care, animal welfare. Sorry for using that word. Um, but that is, is, is almost the, is the antithesis of hunting, which is what the, you know, the anti hunting animal welfare movement, animal rights movement. I wouldn't say animal welfare, animal rights movement right. typically push us, push against us on, right. Is mm-hmm. that you inflict pain on these animals when you hunt them. We're like, yeah, but we, we try and minimize it as much as we possibly can. Instantaneous death, less painful, as, as painless as possible, right? Yep. Compare it to what happens in Mother Nature. If we're going to put a human construct on pain, let's compare what we do to what happens in Mother Nature. I mean. Being eaten alive. Yeah, holy moly. Because have you seen those, like, well, you you are from South Africa, Yes. Yeah, yeah, I am. Okay, so you thank been- you for being spot on with my accent. By the way, I your your level of like um, you know, what I thought of you just went up like a multiple octave. So, so I should thank you. I shouldn't tell on myself in the fact that you told us in a little story earlier that you, you grew up in South Africa. It's all good. I'll tell on myself. Um, I cheated. Um, but yeah, so you've probably seen it in real life. What like what I see on that national, well, what used to be National Geographic. I hate, I hesitate to say National Geographic mm-hmm. now, right? Because it's got a totally different agenda. But um, what we used to see where, uh, you know, the, the weakest member of that herd of gazelles would be taken down by like, you know, some apparently uncoordinated piss poor hunter examples of you know hyenas or a cheetah who just couldn't quite get it right for for like 20 Mm. minutes you know and the poor creature still conscious still feeling every bite still feeling every rip you know like that's not cool okay um absolutely and if you give them the option if you say you know what today's your day friend like no way around it today's your day you want like a an appropriately placed bullet where it's instantaneous or do you want, you know, these these um, panthers to go at you? What do you want? Or 
like I saw one time. Do you want these four chimps to each run up and grab a leg and run in different directions? Which would you like? Mm. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. And what's funny about it is that if something like that is posed to someone who is completely against hunting, mm -hmm. there is no reasoning with the individual. They will say it's okay for the mother nature examples to occur. It is not okay for what you do. Right. And so that's kind of an uneven um, argument because then you're not arguing that the actual act of hunting is good, bad, or, or, or otherwise, or appropriate. What you're arguing is that my opportunity to decide which creature and how is inappropriate, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they're arguing. Because then at the heart of that, to me, becomes, and, and I think if you can get people to remain calm enough, which doesn't generally happen on either side, right? People just, just you know, it just ratchets up, right? But if you can get some objectivity inserted and talk about chairs or something instead of an animal, um, then you you get down to um, the sort of God-like complex that some people perceive hunters to have Correct. when hunting, and they don't think that anyone should own animals and therefore make such decisions. Mm -hmm. And when you get to that, well, then you have two sides that are mutually exclusive, mm -hmm. right? And so oh, well said. And so, so that, that's, to me, that's tricky. Um, I just, I'm not, that's a very difficult gap to bridge. Yeah. And I, and, and we've, we've recognized that there's three camps of people. They're hunters. Mm -hmm. They're anti-hunters that will never, ever agree with anything you say. Mm -hmm. And then, and that's about 10%. We'll call hunters about 10%. There's about 80% in the middle that are like you. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not with as much gusto as you, <laughs> but there's a, a, you know, a number of people in the middle that either mm -hmm. are neutral to hunting, yeah. uh, either have a negative perception because they saw some dumbass with a video about you know putting a baseball bat to a raccoon, mm -hmm. or positive because they've seen some something like us, some of our content that we push out and mm -hmm. information like this podcast, mm -hmm. where they're like, wow, this guy had a conversation with a non-hunter and she seemed to be saying the same thing he said he was he was you know putting across maybe a little bit more intelligently than he was but um nevertheless well and and so what i think is interesting about it too is that um uh most most people in general uh really don't say uh one phrase often enough and the phrase that the people um are deficient in is yeah i don't know <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and so when you get to it, um, if you've never been hunting, if you don't know anyone who hunts, and I would wager you probably do, you just don't know that they hunt, right? You know, mm -hmm. you don't know they hunt. Um, or if you've been exposed to someone who is sort of a, a, a bad actor. Um, bad apple, yeah. Yeah, with that activity. I, you, you don't know enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Because there are there are people who are horrible examples of what they do in every single activity, profession, walk of life. It's just a fact. 
Um, but that's why I also hesitate to do what we're encouraged to do, which is brand all hunters as the same as like a monolith. Um, cause they're just not. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, Jennifer Chatfield, you have been amazing. Um, and, uh, I know that people are going to really, or they've enjoyed this podcast because, um, again, you bring a different perspective to the table and that's what this podcast is all about is different people with different perspective, with different backgrounds that are not the stock standard hunter beating his chest or her chest saying, this is why we hunt. Yeah. So thank you. No, thank you for letting me come on. Um, I really, uh, really appreciate it. And, um, you know, I guess I, I hope people enjoy listening to it. I always have extra words and, uh. I try to have an informed opinion if I'm going to have one. Well, I almost <laughs> didn't have you on after you stood me up the first time. You know? <laughs> it's true. But, but, but like in my defense, I just forgot. <laughs> I don't have a defense. I don't know if that, I don't, I don't know if that is a defense. You know, it's it's really not. It's really not. But, um, but I will tell you, I will actually, I will ask you if it's okay to mention my podcast yes absolutely so let's okay. uh where can people find you dr jen the vet yes so you can find me at chatfieldshow.com and uh wherever wherever you're listening to this podcast you can just also search up um chats with the Chatfields, uh where my twin brother who's also a veterinarian and i talk about all things for animal lovers amazing amazing well make sure everyone checks that out we'll put it in the show notes to connect over to to you and um i think what we need to do is we need to have you we have another podcast that happens weekly okay called the roundup and the roundup is uh, a sort of a discussion of various topics oh. that happen through the week in from a hunting context perspective so maybe uh i'd love to have you on the roundup one day oh. maybe late april early may and um I think it'd be a great conversation. There's another co-host, Cody, who uh, we're very sort of uh, Tweedledee and Tweedledum when it comes to the podcast. It's great. It's a fantastic little piece. And we'd love to have you. Yeah, that, no, that sounds super fun. Super fun. I love a good discussion. There we go. Yeah. Thanks, Jen. All right. Thank you, Ravi. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, Do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.